Welcome back to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. We are in full swing. Spring practices are underway. Spring games have actually been played. So we got plenty of talked about on this brand new, fresh episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. I am Eric Henry, FIU beat writer, SB Nation, co-managing editor, Underdog Dynasty. As always, I am joined by our own Gruden's Grinder, <laughs> our own Mel Kuyper Jr., our own Todd McShay. Uh, the guru of college quarterbacks himself, or at least uh, the quarterbacks that need spotlight, <laughs> Mr. Stephen Hamner. Steve, yeah. what's going on, brother? What's up, brother? Man, uh, that's high praise. I-, I hope I at least look better than all three of those guys. I'm at least younger, so I don't have the flaps <laughs> that you have right now that, that are popping off out of, out of your out of your shirt. I got to keep the hoodie on so I have I can like maintain there's something under there. Um, but, but high praise dudes. It's a, it's a good day here in Texas. How, how are you living out there in the sun, sunshine state? I, I listen, if Mrs. Hamner is watching this podcast, I'll put on some sleeves, man. I apologize. <laughs> uh, outside of that, uh, I am doing all right, man. It's a beautiful day in the sunshine state, uh, gearing up for some football, man. Got a little FIU spring game, got some UCF spring game. Mm-hmm. So definitely looking forward to getting in the man. Can you, can you feel in the air? Uh, it's, it's nice after, uh, a disjointed 2020. It's nice, right? Yeah, I don't think I've ever been this excited like spring games, right? Like next year, it'll probably be like, oh, you know, check it out here and there. But like, <laughs> all right, now fans are back in, like, like spring games actually happening. But yeah, it's interesting. But at the same time, there's a lot of interesting developments too with school, so it's, it makes it a little more intriguing. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Steve and I are fired up to get into this one really quick. Hope you enjoyed our last episode. The last one was primarily a YouTube show, as we mentioned before. We're going to kind of put some emphasis on the YouTube show to kind of put that visual emphasis on the breakdowns that Steve is, uh, you know, putting his time, hard work and effort. The man is uh, the father of a newborn. Okay. So take that into consideration when he's doing that and giving you expert Justin Fields analysis really quick, Justin Fields. Uh, I, I know we do, we do small time QBs, man, but 30 seconds on Justin Fields. Oh, that's, Steve? My, that's my dude. I don't understand how this narrative of he's a one read quarterback got so out there for the simple fact, like, who the hell knows like what his offensive quinter is telling him who the hell knows what his read actually is. We're not in the meeting room. We're just guys that watch it on TV. And all of a sudden we're a bunch of like armchair quarterbacks. And if you actually watch the film, you see him progress through multiple reads. Sure. You can cherry pick a few times. He tucks the ball early or gets sacked, but every quarterback does that. Uh, and plus you would rather him tuck the ball early a few times because of the big runs that he can't have. Anyways, enough ranting about that. If, if after Trevor Lawrence, draft Justin Fields. Don't, don't make it too complex, and it has to be. Check out the YouTube video that, that we put out over Justin Fields. There's some good film breakdown. And just draft the damn guy. Okay, I'm done. There we go. Hot take, Steve. That's hot take, Steve Hammer. Hey, guys, he is, he is normally very even keeled. So to get that hot take, I love it. As, as he said, find the YouTube breakdown. Just punch in QB Spotlight on Twitter at QB Spotlight. Gave a little brief synopsis of that as well. But without further ado, let's jump into the quarterbacks we're going to talk about today. Uh, going to do UCF and UAB primarily, and then we'll kind of give our takes on what spring games we are interested in watching, uh, getting some eyes on this weekend. But the Knights, a program that is near and dear close to my heart, uh, the best university in all of America. Uh, you know, I said university. I didn't say anything about the football team. I said university. Don't roll your eyes. It is the finest institution of all institutions. Orlando. All of it. All, all Orlando. <laughs> No, the Knights, they, uh, if there's one thing that we can agree on is they got one of the best damn quarterbacks in all the nation, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, Steve, I'll just uh, leave it at that and let you go from there. Yeah, so I think we, we talked about Gabriel maybe like a month or so ago, right when Gus, maybe longer than a month ago, whenever Gus Malzahn was first hired, we talked about how does he fit, this and that. And so um, 
I only was able to see a few of the highlights that was put online. I'm not sure if you saw it differently, but his stats from – and he just played in the first half, didn't play in the second half. His stats were 17 of 22, 191 yards, and two passing touchdowns. Also uh, caught a pass on a couple of trick plays that they had that we saw that, that on, uh, on social media that, that they put out. But if I'm a Knights fan, that looks like a similar stat line to every other game that he's had, right? Almost 200 yards passing the first half, two touchdowns, 17 out of 22. So as a Knight fan, you have to be pretty – as a Knights fan, you have to be pretty excited or, or at least somewhat relieved that they're letting Gabe, Dylan Gabriel still do what he does best. That's averaging still almost between 9 and 10 yards per attempt with that stat line. And so I think even though we didn't see the game, I think if you're a Knights fan, you have to be encouraged, right? How do Knights fan Knights fans feel about the game and the system? Like, did they feel like Mozan was trying to put too much on it? Or what, what's your take, dude? Well, really quick, I know you kind of got tripped up there between Knights and Knights. Either or is fine, just as long as you don't say Golden. That oh. is the uh, term. No yeah. longer Golden Knights. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Knights are no longer Golden. The Panthers in South Florida are no longer Golden as well. There are uh, quite a few former Golden uh, <laughs> terms there. Um, I could go on on a rant about that, you know, um, blue devils, red devils, green devils, uh, St. Pete, how were you were that with the green devils. I, I, I never understand the color and the devils. I digress before I, go, I do five minutes on that. No, I think night fans are, are really happy in terms of really. And I'll speak for me. I, I, you know, I'm probably have, I've turned in my fan card as far as college football. So I, I, I don't know that I get a chance to uh, really am, am worthy to speak for Knights fans anymore. Sure. But I think I can say from reading the temperature and the pulse of, you know, social media and UCF Twitter mafia, there was some hesitancy around the hire of Gus Malzahn, right? Because it kind of felt like maybe a retread, you know, um, or maybe I, maybe a retread is too strong of a word, but maybe I think the feeling was a, a bit of a younger mind, whereas I was of the opinion, quite frankly, with Gus Malzahn, he's looking to kind of jump into things here at UCF because his last tenure didn't turn out well. And this could be someone who could stay, especially given the relationship with uh, athletic director Terry Mohair, uh, which he has, he has a previous relationship with Arkansas State, could at least get three, four years. And in my opinion, that's just as good given you see how quickly he's able to assemble a staff. Mm. You see how quickly he's able to, you know, get into recruiting. And I know I'm kind of veering away from uh, the answer for a second. I'm going to bring it all, I'm going to, you know, kind of bring it back home here. But I, I think all in all, that was a better hire. Because, I mean, it, it, listen, this may upset UCF fans. Until you get in the Power Five conference, and we can argue about G5, P5 all you want, UCF's going to be a stepping stone job, right? And, I, and listen, that's for any group of five job outside of, like, Boise State, because they seem to hire people who went to Boise State, <laughs> you know? So that's the thing. So to bring it all the way back around, I think you have to really be pleased because he's able to kind of mesh his offensive philosophies with what's going on there from the former ten, for the, the, the former staff, the you know, former administration there. And things seem to be, you know, really coming into place. I mean, you've heard people say that the practices are some of the best practices they've ever had, you know, in the past couple of years. And seemingly the offense, as far as quarterback, is, you know, no matter who he's playing for, he's spinning it. And that seems to be a positive thing. I don't know if you would kind of agree. And really quick, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Steve. I apologize. But, you know, and I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, but just, you know, give me 20, 30 seconds. When you look at Gus Malzahn's offense, I'm not asking you to compare it to Scott Frost or Josh Heupel. But just to the talent that you've seen play in those offenses, mm-hmm. I think it's got to be, you know, like a hand in a glove, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the offense is like, it is a lot of like pre-motion, uh, uh, pre-snap motion type stuff. Right. Kind of confuse the defense. Maybe one or two receivers going out there compared to Scott Frost. They would spread the field out, 
receivers outside the numbers. Malzahn, it's kind of a, a shorter, compact field. So, um, but with, with the talent goes, I think he has a quarterback who can push the ball downfield arguably better than any quarterback that he's had. And so he's, you know, maybe he's realizing, okay, I can kind of adapt my system to fit what he does well and vice versa. Um, and kind of go, I think that's the best case scenario for Knights fans and for Dylan Gabriel moving forward. I think the, maybe the biggest question now, let's assume Gabriel, let's assume what we just talked about happens. Uh, the, the, it's an easy flow into the system. Gabriel's still chunking downfield and it's setting up the run game. That's what Malzahn does. I think the backup uh, situation might be kind of interesting as well. Who's going to take the step to be the backup quarterback, right? You got the young freshman and then the, or the young uh, uh, Parker Navarro. Navarro. Yeah, Parker Navarro. And, uh, and I guess Bob Jones. Yeah, exactly. So I guess I think that's probably an interesting uh, development as well. But, you know, just a random sidebar. I think Quadri Jones is going to make a hell of a coach. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know if he has any desire. The reason I say that is because he's been, if God, I cannot remember if he got there the final year of Scott Frost or if he was the first year of Josh Heupel. But um, you're talking about someone who, listen, if Quadri Jones went to an FCS program, he'd start. Yeah. Um, he actually briefly entered the transfer portal for a time before coming back and He's an Orlando guy, you know, hometown guys who realize you want to be there and stick out with the program, but someone who's had to play in multiple offenses and seemingly, you know, no matter the coach or coordinator, they find value in him, right? I think we'll see, you know, where he, he lands as far as being the backup, but he's a guy who, Steve, he was a preferred walk-on. Huh, did not know who, that. Yeah, he was a preferred walk-on who, you know, when obviously Mackenzie Milton was there, Dylan Gabriel was there, other quarterbacks and Noah Vedrill, et cetera, et cetera. And he's consistently found value to the point where, you know, um, they would find ways to get him in games, you know, whether it's just, you know, I'm mean, obviously garbage time, but I just think, you know, someone who can adapt to offenses like that, probably gonna make a hell of a coach if that's yeah. the route he point. chooses to go. go. But, um, but yeah, yeah. But let's go ahead up the road, Birmingham, Alabama, the old gray lady, Legion field. I will not desecrate Legion field upon its final day. Uh, it's heading to the, you know, that old, Stadium, uh, uh, stadium, um, um, graveyard, right? The stadium graveyard in the sky. There we go. I'm thinking, of, I was thinking like dump, but I didn't want to use the word dump, right? That'll stadium dump in the sky, but maybe, uh, anyone's going to Legion Field, maybe dump is Afro Pro. Um, <laughs> UAB, how about this? UAB spring game. I'll, I'll lay off a of Legion Field. It was the final, uh, time that football will be played there as they're moving into the new stadium. I cannot remember the name. I need to get that in my head for Conference USA, but. Their quarterback situation is one that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, whether it's been, you know, TJ3. I mean, you can go back to the days of A.J. Erdley, and I've mentioned, you know, things like that, Dylan Hopkins, et cetera, et cetera. So, Steve, uh, what did you see from UAB? Yeah, so before I jump into that, Eric, if I – so the the score was six to nothing, right? There were two field goals in the entire UAB um, spring game. Good to know defense is still king in Birmingham. Does that surprise you whatsoever with what we've seen? Yes and no. I mean, like, I don't, I don't put too much stock into the actual score true, spring game. True. You know what I mean? And, and for never full disclosure, I did not get eyes on this one, so I don't even know how it was scored, right? You know, some people, they'll score, like, an interception as, like, a, you know, sometimes, right? I, I think Evan Dudley's uh, breakdown, his uh, recap, had two field goals, right? Yeah, he just had two um, field goals, yep. So, so or, go ahead, Steve, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, then I was going to actually just follow up uh, with, with uh, TJ3's stats. Um, yeah, no, go for it. AJ go for it. Dudley. Listen, he, um, they come to hear you. They don't come to hear me ramble. So no, I, I want to ask you, if when I read you the stat line, does this stat line surprise you? Oh. Either? Four, of, okay. four, four for eight passing, 58 yards through the air. 50, 50 <laughs> and we're not dogging by any means. We just talked about this before, like, 
Listen, I, I will come in and save Steve. We've talked about, you can go back and listen to previous episodes. We've talked about UAB, or you can just Google UAB stats over the past three years. Their exactly. quarterbacks, if the number isn't exactly 50%, it's usually right around 51, 52, 53% exactly. completions. Exactly. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't get one touchdown, one pick. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. that's or just enough, right? Yeah, uh, just enough. But uh, go ahead, Steve, take it away. So I, he, he, did, he was the, the starter, or at least it says being the starter with the A1s. And so that was, I would assume he probably has the reins and the starting job. What was inter- interesting to me um, was Dylan Hopkins now looks to retake the backup position because he was hurt last year. And Bryson Lucerio was the backup who played some with, with TJ3. Um, and about Lucerio, Dudley says, uh, we'll link the article below, but Dudley goes in and says, had a few strong throws, was ineffective for most of the part while facing the Blazers' top defensive unit. And by the way, the defense had nine total sacks, uh, which is a lot. For a spring game, usually they have a quick whistle where the quarterback can't escape very, very uh, effectively, but still it's a lot of sacks. Um, so I think it's, you know, there were, for me, there wasn't a lot to take away. One, didn't have the film. Two, the stats are somewhat similar. I think it's three, you hope that they can develop uh, with a new OC and, and hopefully when – uh, fall rolls around they're able to build on spring and when they actually have real games come in they can take the next step be a little bit more efficient uh, and you know be more consistent as far as the completions go steve i'm going to ask you this right because we've talked about uab ad nauseum on this podcast yeah. i'm going to ask you this point blank is there a certain point in time in which the qbs just are what they are i mean sure uh, and listen i'm someone who being around james morgan at fiu you can go back and look at his numbers at bowling green that's one of the ways we met was breaking down his film at Bowling Green and saying, hey, he's just a, a square peg in a round hole as far as that offense. He goes to FIU, looks like a different guy. Yeah. Um, but is there a certain point when it's just like, all right, expect 55% completions and UAB is going to go nine and three. They're going to play great defense and win CUSA West and yeah. play in the New Orleans Bowl, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think the answer is yes. But I think as a coach, the answer is no. You can always try to get more out and kind of develop and you know, all it takes is like one thing to go off and then eventually like you go from 55 to 62% uh, completion percentage for, for whatever potential reason. So yes and no, right? You've so, you, you, from a fan's perspective, probably yes. From a coach's perspective, probably no. And just want to clarify one thing real quick, I, uh, unless you have something I don't. Um, Ryan Vincent is still the offensive coordinator at UAB. Okay. Why do I think yeah. yeah. All right. I just want to make sure I – because I heard you say new offensive coordinator. I was like, yeah. to the best of my knowledge. Brian Vincent is still the offensive coordinator in his fourth year under Bill Clark. Uh, we're going to go in transition here, talk about a couple spring games that we have an eye on. Steve, really quick, I want to let you lead it off. Um, is there one, you know, out of that group? And we'll probably talk about all four or five, but I want you, you know, jump in ones that might catch your eye. Man, so yeah, definitely all the ones I sent. I think an interesting one uh, is going to be Memphis and Arkansas State are my top two. For the simple fact, Memphis has two Power Five quarterbacks that are competing for the job. Our yep. former Power Five quarterbacks with Grant Gannell and, and Peter Parrish. Peter Parrish. Yeah, uh, from LSU in Arizona. And then Arkansas State has Lane Hatcher, of course, competing with James Blackman from Florida State. I do not know if he's there for spring. I think so. I probably should know. Uh, but we will for sure know by next week's episode. But those two ones I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I will actually kind of go back and get the answer for you really quick as far as James Blackman. Because uh, that, that's the one that I have my eye on. Even out, well, outside of FIU. That's the one that I have my eye on because I'm really interested to see again. We talked a lot about the quarterback going back and forth as far as, you know, dual rotation. That, of course, was, you know, under a former coaching staff. So I don't think we're going to have that situation this year. Um, 
come on, Blake Anderson. I was almost, I was like, wait a minute, who's the head coach? Blake <laughs> Anderson, the former Arkansas State head coach, now at Utah State. Um, hey, why don't we start there? Yeah. <laughs> Utah State, what do you got? Yeah, so Utah State, I'm interested to see how Andrew Peasley does with Blake Anderson's offense. Of course, Logan Bonner is there. And last time we talked about that, uh, or the, that, that school, Logan Bonner was not practicing yet. So I need to double check to see if he is practicing. But regardless if he is or isn't, uh, there's still an open quarterback competition. So I mentioned Utah State. Interested to see how they plug in Blake Anderson's offense. And then hopefully there's some clips of it this weekend we can get our eyes on and talk about it uh, next week and maybe even have some film to break down. But, yeah, Utah State, the fighting Aggies. I don't know if it's the fighting Aggies, but they're the Aggies. So um, I'll be interested to watch them. They're Aggies and they are fighting, right? I think that'll uh, be yeah. the thing. James Blackman is arriving in the summer. Summer, okay. So I just want to go ahead and clarify that where okay. Arkansas, Arkansas State is concerned. The Panthers of FIU. Um, we actually went ahead, of course, because I covered the team. I got a little bit more access as far as certain things here. So I had you listen to some audio from Butch Davis uh, as far as his media availability on Monday. We were taping this on Thursday. He spoke to us four days ago. You noted an interesting point in him talking about his shift going from former offensive coordinator Rich Strosky to now uh, current offensive coordinator Andrew Briner, who was formerly with the Philadelphia Eagles, former Fordham head coach, former Mississippi State offensive coordinator. And specificity, you noted something that Butch Davis said uh, and talking about wanting to utilize, you know, multiple packages, multiple players. Just, I'll let you kind of go ahead and, and break down what he said because, you know, you're a quarterback and got a chance to hear the, the audio. Right, yeah. So, and just to, before I jump in, just to confirm, they said to, to uh, more variety than just 11 personnel. Is that correct? Right, you got it. Okay, so I think, I think with that, uh, if, if you want to add more tight ends to that, some RPO systems and schemes can call for multiple tight ends uh, with RPO systems. If you look at LSU's RPO system from a few years ago, they had Thaddeus Moss and their backup tight end, which the name is slipping me right now, but the backup tight end actually got drafted. Thaddeus Moss did not. Did not. So you have a primary tight end, but at the same time, um, at the same time, having two tight ends can help in certain situations while, while, while rare, you still want that. And then I think also the ability to open up and have 10 personnel uh, because you, you can split a tight end out and, and, and use that RPO scheme for that with, with FIU kind of transitioning and offensive schemes. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is not just being set in one personnel group 75, 80% of the time, I think was kind of his quote. Yeah, that, that was the direct quote. And I will piggyback off of what you said there in terms of Andrew Briner, who is from the, co from, excuse me, from the Joe Moorhead coaching tree. So Andrew Briner, a direct quote that I was getting from one of his former quarterbacks and Kevin Anderson, he knows every RPO in the book. Mm. You got to think that that might be something to pay attention to, to spin it forward to the quarterbacks. Out of the three there uh, who are competing right now, Kalen Wiggins, Max Bornschlager, Hayden Carlson, all of them can move reasonably well. Of course, Kalen, probably the most dynamic runner of the, uh, of the, the um, group there. We've spent a lot of time talking about the quarterbacks. We're not going to dive into, you know, their strengths and weaknesses, but just want to ask you, and you can apply this to any quarterback breakdown as far as RPOs and whatnot. How crucial, because I think people mix up when they say RPO, people think dual threat. Yeah. How crucial is it to be a dual threat guy versus someone who can make the right reads in an RPO system? Yeah, I think definitely making the right reads trumps being a dual threat. Now, if you're both, that's, that's the winner. That's like the... The, the Justin Fields package, if you will, if you want to go to Justin Fields. Um, but I think making the right reads and just repetition, repetition, repetition. Uh, and if you're a good enough athlete, with which most quarterbacks are in this day and age, that can at least get upfield for five yards, then you can make that RPO system work. 
So that will be in something to keep an eye on. FIU spring game is tomorrow. Of course, I said recording is on Tuesday, so it'll be Friday. Uh, Bush Davis said they're going to try to go like a full first half, give the offenses a few possessions, probably see the first teamers for one possession and then get those backup guys some reps. So I'll come back and report on that and we'll uh, talk about that in a future episode. But got one, one, one more we want to talk about. Bailey Zappy time, baby. Yeah. Western <laughs> Kentucky. Steve, Western Kentucky sent four guys. Let's try this again. Houston Baptist sent four guys to Western Kentucky, mm. plus the offensive coordinator, plus two defensive players also went FB, FBS. Mm. Man, first off, and listen, I gave – what's Houston Baptist? The Huskies. The Huskies. Oh, there we go. Remember. Uh, that was a program that, – that, that was a program that, um, quite frankly, was horrible. Uh, 2016, 2017, 2018. The fact that they were able to get, you know, obviously a little bit of success there with Bailey Zappi and then have that kind of talent, you almost feel bad for the program there, the fact that they're losing all those guys, you know. But with that being said, Houston Baptist's loss is FBS's gain, and we'll go back to Bowling Green, the tops. Bailey Zappi, I mean, it's, it's his show. I mean, his show, you know, yeah. Yeah, so I'll let you go ahead and have at it there. Well, basically, I feel like what you're saying is HBU is now the AAA ball club to Western Kentucky. Is that right? Dude, I can say that Conference USA was the AAA ball club for all of uh, <laughs> P5. I did an article a couple years back on the amount of Conference USA guys who went, yeah. you know, P5. So, uh, unfortunately, I mean, that's just, that's just football in, in 2021. Maybe HBU is AA, Conference USA is AAA, and then Power 5 is the big leagues. For, for lack of a term, no offense to anyone. Um, but, no, I'm definitely pumped for Bailey Zappi, just the offense itself. And the, it's interesting that Western Kentucky has – um, Davis Shanley, uh, why is this quarterback name uh, slip my mind? Is it Kavaris Thomas? Kavaris Thomas, yes. Kavaris Thomas. And last time I checked, Tyrell Pigram was in the transfer portal as well. I know he kind of bounced back and forth. At, at last check, Tyrell Pigram is in the transfer portal. I know he had bounced in and out. Okay. Um, uh, I'll let you finish your thought before I jump in. Go ahead. No, no, no. So I was just saying Western Kentucky has three guys in the transfer portal. I think it's the yeah. – Everyone knows Billy Zappi is a guy. It's not really a competition. Uh, it's, just, it's just interesting to see that offense now because you're so used to West Kentucky kind of running, running, dunk, throw, dunk, throw type deal, running, running. But now they're just getting, getting a widespread open offense. So it's going to be fun to watch from, from that standpoint, not the competition standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, I think just the best of my recollection, there is not a true air raid mm. uh, in Conference USA. So, you know, and I think we'll see some semblance of that. Maybe not – you know, you could have a situation where, hey, you know, we're going to kind of meld the offenses a little bit, but I, I we do not have a true air raid. Yeah. Um, even North Texas, I mean, that's not an air raid. That's a spread. Right. So definitely could be interesting. And as uh, it was said, Zach Kittley was brought to Bowling Green to light up the scoreboard. He said yeah. that's what Tyson Helton brought him there. So definitely could be interesting. Maybe wish I was going to Bowling Green this year. <laughs> but with that being said, want to thank you all for listening. Yep. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us for the episode of the QB Spotlight podcast. As always, you can find the podcast on Twitter at QB Spotlight. You can find us on your various podcasting platforms, primarily Apple Podcasts, primarily Podbean. You can find the YouTube version of this. Just go to YouTube, punch in QB Spotlight. Steve, uh, believe, well, actually, you know what? I think I'm uh, allowed to say this now. You can find us at NFL Draft Diamonds. Is that correct, sir? Yes, NFLDraftDiamonds.com. And then the Twitter handle is, let's see if you got the Twitter handle. Uh, I do not. I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> the Twitter handle is, is his draft diamonds. Um, but I, I think uh, 
you know, I think everyone here knows kind of what they do. They, they put out some good stuff over some small school players and give them some good uh, recognition and publicity. They actually have helped a lot of kids get noticed by the NFL team. So uh, they put out our stuff, and we're very thankful to them, and they do a great job.